Well, let's come to God's Word again as we come to the book of Luke, and we're in chapter 7, so we are progressing forward. And uh, we're back in the narrative of the story, the this, this story itself. We're finished with Jesus' um, sermon that he's um, given to the people around him, and now we're back into the book itself and what Jesus does. Remember the aim of the book of Luke. Why did Luke write this book? It was there to show Theophilus who Jesus was, not just through what he said, but through what he did. And then also to teach us that read it so many years later, the general principles we can still learn from the way Jesus interacted with people and the way they responded to him. So let's see what we can learn from this passage this morning. Luke chapter 7 and we're reading verses 1 to 10. I'm reading from the New American Standard just for variety. When Jesus had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard, he that is the centurion, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking Jesus to come and save the life of his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to us, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, the soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. What a story. I wonder this morning as you hear, have you got a big self-image? You know, that image about yourself. Are you kind of a big deal to yourself? You might not quite dress up like that, man. But to yourself, do you see yourself as quite a big deal? You see, the Bible teaches us two things about having a big view of yourself. It says that your view of yourself will shape your view of God. I'll repeat that. Your view of yourself will shape your view of God. And I'll explain what I mean as we go. And then secondly, it teaches that your view of God will affect how real your faith is. Two things there. Your view of yourself will shape your view of God. And your view of God will then affect how real your faith is. So how does that work out here? Jesus has been teaching in chapter 6 about an unshakable faith. And then he goes on and he gives that beautiful story about the house built on the rock that stands the storms of life. 
And the other house built on sand that wasn't built on truth, that falls over as soon as life comes up against it. And now Luke gives us an example of someone with such a faith, someone with an unshakable faith, and that is the centurion. So let's look a little bit at, at the centurion. What was he like? We need to kind of get into that world. A centurion was a man, a Roman soldier, who was set up over 100 men. In our daily terms, in our modern terms, he'd be an army captain. Right? 100 men under his command. And this specific centurion was under the pay of Herod Antipas. And he was set there specifically to help the Herodian rulers at that time, those put into place by Herod to maintain their position in that Jewish state. And history tells us that he would be, he would have a command over Jewish soldiers, not Roman ones. That was interesting. He would be in command of Jewish soldiers in and around the cities which were under the Jews. And so here's the centurion, he's in command of so many people, he's been given this command in this time, in the city where the Jews are staying. And he could have had a big self-image. He could have. He had command over men. The Bible tells us he had money, and we'll come to that now. And he had power, it was given to him. He had prestige, he had glamour, he had a fancy uniform. He could have got a big self-image. But Luke says he doesn't. He didn't. You see, Luke's centurions, and whenever Luke describes a centurion in the book of Luke, he describes men who had good characters, men who were of good quality. In the other instance where he speaks about a centurion, he speaks about that centurion who was in front of the cross of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died, it was a centurion who said, who praised God and said, this man is a good man. This man is a good man. It was him, a centurion. We learned something else about this centurion. Our text says that he had the slave who was very ill. Matthew chapter 8 verse 6, which is our parallel passage for this a specific part of the account, says that this slave was bedridden with paralysis. He was suffering terribly. He was fearfully tormented and he was about to die. Now remember Luke, the, the man writing this, is a doctor. And so he would pick out these bits. And so the centurion had the slave who was very ill. And if you look at the Greek word for slave there, it's, he was a bond slave. He was a bond servant. In other words, he was a servant who had given up his rights to stop being a slave after so many years and who had voluntarily given himself to this master. And he had had his ear pierced through the door frame of the door of this house that this man stayed in to say that I am yours for life. And so it must have said something about the character of the centurion as well, that the slave actually wanted to voluntarily be under his household. And so this slave is very ill and about to die. And then it says in our text that this centurion loved this slave of his. And he didn't want him to die. It was unusual mercy to see in a Roman officer, because usually slaves were treated like furniture. They had no rights at all. 
And a centurion or a Roman could get rid of a slave if he felt like it on a day. He could have him killed and no one would bat an eyelid. But he loved his servant. And he didn't want him to die. But he was busy dying. And so was there hope for this man? Our text says, yes, there was. You see, he was stationed at this very specific time and in the history of his um, service, in the service of Rome, he was stationed in Capernaum. And it's there for a reason, you see. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about this great physician. He had heard what he'd done for others. He had heard about the healing of a city official's son. And you can read about that in John chapter 4. And how Jesus had healed this man's son, stationed in the same city. And now the centurion pleads this very same mercy to be shown to his servant. Lord, you did it before. You can do it for my servant whom I love. And so what does he do to put this plan into practice? He gets together the civil leaders of Capernaum, the Jewish elders. They were also the village judges. He says to them, come to me please. I've got a need and I want you to go and see this Messiah. And I want you to go and tell him and ask him to please come and heal my slave. Would you do that for me? And now we learn a little bit about these leaders, you see. They're here for a reason. We are to learn from them. So what were they like, these Jewish leaders, the community leaders? Verses 4 to 6 in your text. We see that these community leaders wanted to please the centurion. Now immediately you should stop and take note. These were Jewish leaders wanting to please a Roman centurion. Salt and light, black and white. We don't do that. All right? And so why would they want to please the centurion? There's usually very little love amongst Romans and Jews. And especially Jewish leaders who were soldiers. Sorry, especially Roman leaders who were soldiers. Jews didn't typically go running errands for them. And so what's this reason? You see, our text says that he loved the Jewish people. And how did he show that love? He'd even built them a synagogue. Now, there was only one synagogue in Capernaum at that time, so it must have been that synagogue that he had built for them. He was the the money behind it. He was the finance behind the building of that synagogue. And that's very unusual. We also know from history that sometimes soldiers like the centurion would be retired specifically into Jewish villages and they would get a command of a Jewish garrison And they were there to keep peace in that area. And the Roman government liked it that way. And to to kind of help them on in this process, they they were given quite a good package, a good salary scale to kind of help them to do this. And so here is this Roman. He's very well off. And he uses his money as as goodwill to these people. And they've seen it. They've taken note. And so these Jewish leaders come to Jesus and I can nearly hear them. They didn't ask him. They nearly demanded of Jesus. You see them over here? They come rushing up to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, this important official, you know, the one that built us the synagogue, him, Lord, he's worthy because he's done all this for us. He loves us, Lord, and they start peeling out why Jesus should help him. Lord, he needs your help now. Can you help him, please? You see, they were looking at his outside, the externals. And they were saying, Lord, he's worthy of your help, so help him, Lord. 
The vernacular comes to mind. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. And let's not be too harsh on them, all right? They wanted to see good done for this man, but they were looking at the externals. And I love the way Jesus just, he can see their hearts. And he doesn't start climbing into them and saying, listen, I'm the only one who's worthy, not him, nothing like that. Jesus goes with them. There's no ifs or buts here. He goes with them, says our text, verse 6. You see, Jesus could read their hearts. But there was a bigger picture here, and Jesus knew what he was to do. He was about his father's business. And so Jesus goes with them. And now the camera, as it were, jumps back to the centurion again. Verses 6 to 8 in your text. The centurion hears via messengers that Jesus is coming. He's nearly here. And now he has a change of mind. And he sends his friends off with a message to Jesus as well. It's a bit fickle, I must say, but, but we'll see the reason for it. He sends his friends over because he's, had, he's been overcome by a sense of his own unworthiness. The Messiah, the one they call the Messiah, is actually going to come into my home. I can't have him here. He's the Messiah. I'm just a man. And he sends off his friends, this delegation to Jesus, with this message, Lord, don't bother to come anymore. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Don't come into my house, Lord. I'm unworthy of you to come. He sends off this message. And this was very unusual too because Roman soldiers were not known for their humility. They were fairly pompous characters usually. And not, especially not in front of their Jewish subjects. And so, here's this Roman centurion. See the picture? Here's this Roman centurion saying, I'm not worthy to receive this Jewish rabbi into my home. That was very unusual. But he realized who Jesus was, you see. And so, he sends this message off to, to, to Jesus saying, Lord, I am unworthy to receive you under my roof. You see, why would he see himself as unworthy? And we need to recognize two things here. Because this text speaks about two very important themes. It speaks about humility and faith. And this is where we see this man's humility and then his faith coming out. And we're going to be coming back to that theme this morning. Why did he see himself as unworthy to receive Jesus? Well, there was a a Jewish tradition that It was kind of a time-honored taboo around that as a Roman, you would never receive a Gentile into your home. Why? It wasn't your problem. It was their problem. Because by receiving a Jew into your home, they were defiling themselves. They were seen to be unclean. And so he was saying, Lord, how can I make you unclean? Don't come into my house. Just say the word. Stay outside. Say the word, Lord, and then you will remain clean. But secondly, we see his faith coming out. You see, he realized who Jesus really was. He wasn't just understanding a Jewish tradition. He understood about Jesus' power. He understood about Jesus' ability to heal. He'd heard the stories of Jesus doing healings. He knew that even over a distance, Jesus could heal. He knew that Jesus was the great one who had independent authority. The one who held the universe in his all-powerful grasp. He knew that. He'd heard the teachings. The news would have got to him as a centurion. It was his business to know what was happening. 
He knew that Jesus was the one who held command over everything, including all people, including diseases and sicknesses. Has Jesus changed? No, he's still that man. That's in brackets. He knew that this man was the Messiah. You know, he showed such great insight. He was a pagan recognizing Jesus for who he was. He was a pagan showing more spiritual insight than the Jewish leaders and the Jewish religious leaders as well. And so he says in verse 7, Lord, just say the word and my servant will be healed. He recognized Jesus' authority. You see, he knew what authority was about. He knew that if he said to someone, go, he didn't have to go and check up if they went. They would go. Because if they didn't, they'd die usually in the Roman world. And so, and if he said to another servant, come, they would come immediately and as fast as they could. Because if they didn't, usually, yes, they would die. And so they would come. But he knew what authority was. When you say something, people do things. You don't have to be there. And so he says, Lord, I understand what authority is. And so, Lord, with authority, you can just speak the word. You don't even have to come here and it will happen. I know it will, Lord. Do you see what he's saying? Just say the word, Lord. My servant will be healed. There's the faith. I'm confident of this. You see, he recognized his own inability in this circumstance. Even though he had a lot of power, even though he had a lot of power at his command from the Roman authorities, he knew, in this instance, I'm helpless. This man, the Messiah, will have to do it for me. He recognized his need for Jesus' ability. And now the camera jumps again and we are looking at Jesus looking at this man and it comes out in Jesus' words to him. And just note here, they hadn't actually met yet. Jesus was on the way to this man's house. The centurion hadn't come out of his house yet. He was in his home sending these messages. So they hadn't actually met. All this was happening at a distance. And so Jesus hears this message and Jesus has a reaction to that. What does Jesus say? Our text says Jesus marveled at his faith. Now, that is very rare. It's only used twice in Scripture, where Jesus marvels at anything. Here, Jesus marveled at the faith of a Gentile man. And the other time Jesus marveled, you'll find it in your Bibles, he marveled in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, at the unbelief of the Jews, at the unbelief of the Jewish nation of that time. Those are the only two times. Why did Jesus marvel? There are four reasons. He marveled because this uncircumcised Gentile with no tutoring of the scriptures believed. He marveled because this Roman officer who wielded considerable power recognized that there was a situation he couldn't handle and so he gave it to Jesus. He marveled because this unusually rich soldier didn't get stuck up and caught behind his riches he recognized when riches could do nothing for him. And he marveled because this Gentile showed a simplicity and absolute certainty in his faith. It was a simple faith. Not even the Jewish leaders could see what this man had seen. 
And so, a reaction to that is Jesus turns around to the crowd and he actually rebukes the faithlessness of Israel. He, he makes it public to them. He could have kept this to himself. He could have marveled and kept it to himself. But he turns around to the crowd and he says, Never have I seen faith like this. And by saying that, he's saying something about the faithlessness once again of the nation that, that should have known, that had all the privileges of history of knowing the Messiah and yet they wouldn't recognize him. And so Jesus sends a message to the centurion. Now your passage in Luke won't say this, but the one in Matthew will, Matthew 8, the other camera on the scene. Remember we've got two people reporting on this? So Jesus sends a message to the centurion and then we read in Luke that when they re-entered his home, the servant was already healed and in good health. You see, the healing was nothing to Jesus. What was healing to Jesus? That was nothing. It's a byproduct. The main thing was the faith that Jesus had seen here and he acts on that faith. The healing is nearly a postscript to this whole story. What a wonderful saviour Jesus is, isn't he? He bids all people to embrace him by faith, whether they're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Jew and Gentile. If you are Jewish or Gentile here, Jesus bids you to come to him by faith. And when we come to him by faith, he is well pleased. That's what it he marveled, he was well pleased with him. And even though he knew that that faith, even of that Gentile, was a gift of God as well. He still marveled. And so I want to come to an assessment that Jesus does on you and I this morning. And he does it in four areas, I believe, from this passage. And I want you to really take this before the Lord and ask him, Lord, in one of these four areas that come from your word, are you speaking to me right now, here in this place this morning? What is Jesus' assessment of you your humility and your faith before him this morning. First question I want to put to you is this. If you're not a believer here today, you need to embrace Jesus by faith. So my question is, have you embraced him by faith as you sit here in your chair in this auditorium this morning? Have you received Jesus Christ by faith? Is he your saviour? Is he your Lord? Or are you still your own Lord? We learnt about that last week. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Is he your Lord this morning? If not, you need to bow your proud knee to the Son of God and recognise him for who he is. Like this Gentile, recognise him. Recognise Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the only way to God. There is no other way you can come to him. But come through Jesus Christ and you will receive new life. And come today. Don't leave it. You can't come next week. He might have come by then and then it's too late. You might not be living and then it's too late. Come to him this morning. And I'm speaking to our young people here too. If you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are hearing the call coming out to you this morning. Come to him today. Don't rest on the faith of your parents. You need to make him your Lord. The second question I want to put to you is this. Do you have real faith in Jesus Christ? 
Do you trust God at his word, in other words? Is he really in control in your life? Do you really know in your life that he cares for you? Do you know that in your heart? Or do you just know that in your head? Do you acknowledge him in your heart? Do you acknowledge his authority over all aspects of your life, physical and spiritual? Do you acknowledge his authority in your life? Really? Do you acknowledge that without his ability, you cannot live without him? Do you acknowledge that his ability to intervene in all problems of your life is a reality in your life? He can do it. Do you recognize your own inability and your need of Jesus and his ability, like this Roman soldier did? Do you recognize that you cannot do everything in life? Jesus can intervene in your life. And if you think he can't, you need to ask yourself a follow-up question. Is anything too hard for him? Well, name one. Is it too hard for him? And so my question to you this morning is, do you have real faith? Do you want to know the test for that? When life storms come against you, when your life turns to custard, to use a vernacular, what is your reaction? If you turn to him in faith, it will tell you the state of your faith. If you start panicking and running around and looking to your own wisdom, then you also know where your faith is at. Is your faith real this morning? Thirdly, are you worthy in your eyes or in Jesus' eyes? In other words, are you trying to build up credit with Jesus Christ through good works? Are you trying to live such a good life so that he will be pleased with you so that you can go to heaven? Or are you living a good life in a recognition of who he is and with the ability that he gives you to live that good life? Are you worthy in your eyes or in his eyes? I want to put it in another way to you this morning. How big is your identity when compared to God? You see, when your view of God is uh, your view of God is only as big as you are small, and I've just made that up, by the way. Your view of God is only as big as you are small. How big are you in your eyes? If you are big, God will be small. And you see, we need to have a big view of a big God. He is a big God when compared to us. That's where humility comes in. And so here's the test this morning for you. Who wears the biggest crown in your life? Jesus Christ or you? Is he really Lord of your life in all aspects of your life? The last question I want to leave with you this morning is this one. Do you limit Jesus' power? Now listen to what I'm saying, because otherwise you'll say, what? How can you limit Jesus' power? Do you limit Jesus' power? No, not by your ability, because you can't limit his power. He will work despite you. But, in your attitude to him, does your attitude limit who you see as worthy or unworthy to receive the message of the gospel? 
I'll repeat that again. In your attitude, do you limit Jesus' power by your, by your attitude and who you see as worthy or unworthy to receive the message of the gospel? You see, Jesus reached out to a Gentile Roman soldier as a Jewish rabbi. He reached out to him. Are there any perhaps in your life that you do not share the gospel with because you're thinking perhaps maybe they won't understand or maybe they're too young so I'll wait till they're older. Do you tell your children about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you think they're not educated enough. They won't understand all the stuff about Christianity. Or maybe even... They're not one of us. They won't fit into this church if they were to be converted. Have you ever thought that? Or maybe you look at someone and you think, man, they're too far gone. I'm not going to go and explain the gospel to them. Maybe you see a gang member walking past you in Wanganui and you think, I can't teach, the, I can't take the gospel to them. They're too far gone. Or maybe you come across a very, very grumpy neighbor. And the last thing that comes across you is to take the gospel to them and not fight back about their tree branch hanging over your fence. Or maybe you think that atheist family member, they're so set in their ways, I'm not going to take the gospel to them. Or maybe a gay person has come across your way and you think, I'm not going to tell them the gospel. Oh, they're in sin. You see, is anyone unworthy of the gospel? We have that attitude. We are having the same reaction as those Jewish leaders. We are looking at the externals. Jesus looks at the internals and he sees everyone as unworthy to be saved. Everyone as unworthy to be saved. But because of his great grace and his love, he reaches across the unworthiness and he makes them worthy to be saved. He does that, you see. He reaches across unworthiness. So who are we to stop? What did Jesus do to you? What did he do to me? He reached across my unworthiness. He reached me when I was dead in my sin. He reached you when you were dead in your sin. You didn't have any inclination to come to him. And he took hold of you. And he turned your heart. He put life in there. And then he started drawing you to himself. He made you worthy to be saved. And so our response should be, Better than the Roman centurion. You see, the Roman centurion had little spiritual instruction, but he had great faith. We have the entire Bible. Plus, we've got 2,000 plus years of Christian history, and yet our faith is sometimes so small. Isn't that sad? How big is your faith today? Is it strong in Jesus Christ? You see, we need to cry out with Luke chapter 17, verse 5. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, my faith is weak. Increase my faith. Increase my humility before you, Lord. Make me less. Make you more. So that you can work in and through me to reach the world around me. Because they are worthy to be saved. Help us. To take your word seriously. Help us to build your your word into our lives as your spirit does it and change it into faith in us. Give us real faith, Lord. Give us true humility. That's what our prayer should be before them. 
Is that the prayer of your heart this morning? I pray that as you go through this week, that you will be reminded of what you should be before the Lord, a humble person, and who He is, the Almighty, all-powerful God, the one who can reach into others' lives if you are humble enough to allow Him to use you. May He do His work in and through you this week. And I pray that His Spirit would do an active work in all of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this account of this Roman soldier who recognized the Messiah that had come to the world and who simply and humbly put his faith in in you and was rewarded for it because he saved his servant that he loved. And Lord, the prayer from our hearts this morning is give us that same simple and humble faith so that when we start getting big heads about ourselves and our abilities, we would again be put into the perspective of who you are, the almighty God of the universe, with whom nothing is impossible. And when we come across situations in our lives where we are overcome by the immensity of what is happening to us, may we react in faith to you. May we stop looking at the wind and the waves. May we look to the one who is greater than the wind and the waves, the creator God who makes all these things. May we look to you, our Lord Jesus Christ. And may our faith remain unmovable as we found ourselves on the rock of Jesus Christ. Help us to stand here. Lord, I pray for any here that are wavering in their faith any that have taken their eyes off you, or any that do not yet know you, Lord, may you direct their eyes to you again. May their faith be built up. May you create faith in those that do not yet know you. And we know that you can do this through your Spirit, who is active amongst us, if we allow him to be. Lord, do a great work, we pray, so that you will be glorified, and your name made great, in this little community of Wanganui where we stay. Be glorified, Lord, we pray.